Good morning. What we're doing this morning is to continue on where we left off last week in the beloved 23rd Psalm. Love for you to find your way there, and it might be worth if you didn't have opportunity to check the online presentation of one through three last week as we pick up where we left off now. But as I venture in with you again to the 23rd Psalm, a few thoughts as we do a quick review of what we covered last week. Notice how again this Psalm begins. The Lord is my shepherd. It does not begin with green pastures, does it? It begins with the Lord is my shepherd, Hebrew word Yahweh. Uh, in other words, what now the psalmist is doing for you and doing for me is he's putting first things first. He is saying the provider comes before the provision. Don't reverse this and start with green pastures in your life. Start with Yahweh, Lord your God, and then move to the green pastures of life. Start with the provider before you get to the provisions. Because our starting point will very well determine our ending point in life. You start with Yahweh, your Lord, who sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And now you're putting first things first and putting an order, a progression that will allow you to make your way through the challenges of life. We noticed last week that he said, I shall not want. He is not saying, because of green pastures, I shall not want. Instead, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, he was making a dogmatic, exclusive statement as to where his ultimate needs are met. It's in his relationship to his shepherd king, our sovereign one who sent Christ into the world to die for our sins. You start with him being the I shall not want in other words, you're not looking for alternatives to God at this point. Now, when we ask the question, why should I not want? What we did at that point was we spotted the pronoun he. And four times we found the word he being used to describe the various reasons why you and I should not want an alternative to God. We notice that it reads, he makes me lie down in green pastures, number one. He leads me beside still waters, number two. He restores my soul, number three. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And we looped the phrase namesake back to the beginning because the name is the Lord, Yahweh. And we tied it together. And now we're going to be covering verses 4, 5, and 6 this morning. I'll begin reading with verse 1 to get a sense of traction. But what I want you to notice when we get to 4, 5, and 6, he shifts from the third person pronoun, he, to the second, you. Why? This is getting very personal now his relationship with God. Check it out with me as I begin reading. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Don't disconnect verse 3 from what comes in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Notice the certainties now. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and take the name the Lord in verse 6 at the very end, forever. Loop it back to how this began in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And now you're putting all of this together as we look to our Lord in prayer. And now, Father, what we want to do is to explore the depths and the breadth of your, of your word. We want to have hearts and minds, wills that are, that are yours. Lord, what we want to do is to be able to see how David, in the midst of the upheavals of his life, David, the shepherd king of Israel, would view his Yahweh, his Lord, as the ultimate shepherd king of his life. And we need to do the same. Keep us from substituting for you. Keep us from reversing the first verse of our lives and making the green pastures primary rather than the Lord primary. We need to start with you in all times, in all places, even in the upheavals of life. And so many of us are experiencing such right now. And what we want to do, Father, is to be able to see how your word relates very practically unto life as it's lived out today. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and, and him only. I'm praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's explore this painting, this picture that appears on the screen at this point. I'm struck by the lack of color, aren't you? You look at it, and what you see is that there are various shades of black and white here, grays uh, also blended in. The ground is not flat, but then again, neither is life itself. Notice that what the shepherd is now doing is that he is guiding his flock from what we'll call the lowlands to the highlands. Most likely now what we see is that they have left the springtime of feeding. And he knows that as the mountains have experienced the beginnings of a melt, where the snows now are, are saturating the tips, it's time to lead the flock upward. But this is no smooth path. This is no easy road. And so many of us here this morning, this is no smooth path. This is no easy road that you've been traveling. But what I want to say is that God has a way of guiding you to where the green pastures are to be found but oftentimes, it's a rugged path, it's a difficult path, it's a challenging path to get from where you were, to get from where you are, to get to where you need to be. Notice the terrain. And notice the boulders there that in many ways seem to be blocking portions of the path. Notice the grouping of the sheep but there, off in the higher portion of the screen, what we find is that an associate, must be an associate pastor there, because pastor comes from the same root word as pasture, and that's why we talk about pastors as shepherds. Notice that he's got a sheep over his head. Ah, the one that tried to get away. 
And now, and now he's bringing that sheep back to the rest of the flock. Ah, uh, there's the getaways of life, aren't there? The ones that are always looking for something different than the rugged path that they're on at this point. Looking for something else. Looking somewhere else. And now this wise shepherd is bringing the sheep back to the fold. And maybe in your extended family, maybe in your extended relationships, you've got that straggler. You got that one who has seemed to have parted ways. But God has a way in his grace of bringing his people back into his fold. Notice then that what we see here is rugged terrain. But what I want to draw out for you as we're getting ourselves started, didn't verse 3 end with these words? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Didn't we say paths of righteousness comes from the wording right paths? Notice where the right paths of verse 3 are taking you. Through the valley of the shadow of death. We prefer a disconnect between verse 3 and verse 4 in our lives, don't we? And what God is doing is saying, oftentimes the right paths are through the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to have to think this through. We prefer those, those paths separated from each other. We don't want them necessarily to be one and the same. But God has a way of taking us from the lower terrain to the higher terrain of life. And as he does so, he will take you and take me through paths that are extraordinarily uncomfortable, extraordinarily difficult. And when you say, I should be an exception to the rule, he says, have you ever checked out Jesus and his path to the cross? And what that entailed? To the text. As we are now connecting this three, where we ended last week, with the fourth of the reasons why I shall not want, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His name is Yahweh. We're going to start with verse 4. Do no major headings. Just simply notice the verses as they come one by one and develop our thoughts as we go. And notice how it begins. Even though. Your life and my life will be filled with the even those of life. Where we have put faith and trust in Christ Jesus as our Lord, our Yahweh, our Savior. And we think, okay, now it seems as though the paths ought to level out. And the road ought to get smoother at this point in my life. Lo and behold, this shepherd king, David a man after God's own heart, is telling you and me autobiographically through metaphor, I've got some even those in my life. And he goes on to say, even though I walk. Now, when you and I are facing such hurdles, such challenges, such extremes in the paths of righteousness, the natural tendency might be to say, I'm going to stop, or I'm going to turn around. David is going through upheaval in his life. Most likely, we are describing the time period in which Absalom has usurped authority and sought to replace his father, David, positioning himself as king of Israel. David now is going back to the wilderness, back to the very hills in which he had once shepherded his sheep, when we found him being called out by God via Samuel to shepherd the people of Israel. God does not waste your experiences, as we said. God invests, invests your experiences, 
just as David now is back in the very wilderness where it all began, many of us might be saying to ourselves, I feel like I'm starting all over again. I thought I had some forward movement. I thought I'd be further along in life than where I am. It seems as though I'm looping. I'm going back and re-experiencing. You're in good company. There's David. Confronted with even those when he is on the path of righteousness for, for Yahweh's name's sake. He is choosing not to stand still. He's choosing not to go back. He says, I walk. I walk. Where is he walking? It does not read through the valley of death, does it? Instead it reads, it's through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys. You see, over every mountain there is a path. Although it may not necessarily be seen from the valley. And maybe now you find yourself in a forward movement process where moving from the lowlands to the highlands of life, it seems as though there's one hindrance after the next, and you thought by now there would be smooth paths, but then you remind yourself that there was no smooth path to the cross, and there was nothing smooth about the cross. Walking through the valley of the shadow. But what I want to remind us this morning is that when walking through the valley of shadows, just remember, a shadow is cast by a light. Where there is no light, there is no shadow. The one who said, I am the good shepherd, is also the one who proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. And so now, what God will do is to illuminate your path as you are moving, so to speak, metaphorically, from the lowlands to the highlands in search of the pastures that God is setting before you. It's no easy trek. But you say, Gary, as I look at this very carefully, this has to do that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How do I understand that? Death involves separation. Button's book, Immortality, is brilliant on this subject. There are various forms of death in the Bible. Physical death is the separation of the body, you see, uh, from, from the soul and from you and from me. Spiritual death. That I came into the world physically alive but spiritually dead. That is separation from God. Eternal death is separation of body and soul from God forever. So there are various forms of death being described in the Bible. But this one who is a man after God's own heart, you see, is saying, I am now walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he realizes the physical challenges and threats that he is facing. Why does, why does God phrase it this way? In a prior generation, one of the premier expositors of God's word was Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Great influence on my life. Dr. Barnhouse was pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. His wife had passed away. And Dr. Barnhouse was driving his children to the funeral of their mother and a semi-trailer truck crossed in front of them at an intersection and momentarily cast a shadow on the car. 
Dr. Barnhouse turned to the children and said, Would you rather be struck by the semi or struck by the shadow? The shadow, of course, they answered. That's what happened to us, Barnhouse said to the children. Mommy's dying is only the shadow of death. The lost sinner is struck by the semi of death. Your mommy was only struck by the shadow. She's with her Jesus. What I want you to see here is that he does not phrase it in such a way that you and I walk through the valley of death. If we know Yahweh as our Lord, as our Savior, even those of life, I am walking, but I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm putting everything in proper perspective because where there is a shadow, there is light. And now... And now we have an opportunity to be able to gain the necessary perspective. When once you are able to distinguish and understand the role of shadows, therefore you make this extraordinary faith statement come alive in the dynamic movements of your life. I will fear no evil. Triggered a thought, watching what was taking place near my son and daughter-in-law's home in Fort Worth, Texas area, last night, pondering the hostage situation in the synagogue there. Mind immediately went back, of course, to time in Jerusalem and visiting and touring the Holocaust Museum. There was a particular room set off to the side in the museum where there's video footage of Adolf Eichmann's trial. Eichmann, of course, was at the forefront of the Holocaust and the loss of so many of the lives of so many Jews in the midst of the World War II phenomenon. Eichmann was found guilty in, in his in his trial and sentenced to death. A journalist describing the scene where he now approached the gallows said that Eichmann went to the gallows with great dignity. He had asked for a bottle of red wine and had drunk half of it. He refused the help of the pastor who offered to read the Bible to him, saying, I've only got two more hours to live, no time to waste walked the 50 yards from his cell to the execution chamber, calm, erect, hands bound behind him. And when the gods tied his ankles and knees, he asked them to loosen the bonds so that he could stand straight. I don't need that, he said. He denied a relationship to God, said that he was no Christian, did not believe in life after death, and then proceeded to state, after a short while, gentlemen, we shall meet again, such is the fate of all men. Long live Germany, long live Argentina, long live Austria, I shall not forget. The journalist describing what was taking place, stunned by the epitome of all that went wrong during the time period in which he lived, said it was as though in those last moments he was summing up the lesson that this long course in human wickedness had taught us, the lesson of the fearsome word and thought-defying banality of evil. I will fear no evil. I'm struck, aren't you, when you think about matters pertaining to the creation, evolution, debate, globally. 
no secularist, no evolutionist has ever been able to describe how we evolved out of evil. Why is there still evil today? I would say it's because of original sin. We inherited our forefather Adam's sinful nature. I came into this world physically alive but spiritually dead. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But I fear no evil because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior. And I ponder the one who on that cross took evil head on and three days later was raised from the grave. So with the Eichmanns of this world, we're able to say, I will fear no evil at this point. And you ask, why? You're still in verse 4 at this moment. And here in verse 4, you are given the first of the reasons why you fear no evil and here comes, leaping out of the pages for you and for me. For you are with me. What a shepherd does is that he stays engaged with his sheep. Doesn't depart from the sheep. Deeply invested in the sheep. Joseph in prison, David would know the story, is given that sense of the withness of God and the upheavals of his life. In the future, Daniel, incarcerated, will experience the withness of God as was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when there was another in the fire. What we need to see is that there's another in the fire of life. There's the witness of our Lord. There is the sense of the presence of our Lord. You, the first of the yous now, as he shifts from third person to second person in verses four through six. You are with me. At this particular point, when you and I are, are pondering the witness of life, we ask, and what evidence do I have, you see, that the Lord is with me? David, who, who knew the terrain, David, who was shepherd king, and now back where it all began, understood two significant symbols that a shepherd possessed, giving evidence to the sheep that they should fear no evil, that the shepherd was with them. And those two evidences were, number one, the rod, and number two, the staff. And what's interesting, when you begin with the word the rod, is that the shepherd's rod, you see, was a symbol of the shepherd's power. It represented protection. It was an oak club, roughly about two feet in length, used to defend the flock against wild beasts. The head of this rod was round, usually whittled from the knot of a tree, in which the shepherd had pounded sharp bits of metal into it. This was the means by which protection was provided as you were being guided through the shadows of death. And when you and I begin to explore that, then we have a better understanding why David, when he submitted his resume to Saul as to why he should take on Goliath, When Goliath challenged him, you're just a young man. In other words, claiming that he was inexperienced to go fight against this Philistine. 
David said in, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him, killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine should be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And what's Saul going to say to that? All he could say was, go, the Lord be with you. And David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then after giving the various reasons why he should not want, because he's not going to find a replacement for Yahweh, he acknowledges that even those of his life that I do walk, but I'm not running backwards, I'm going forward, I walk through the valley, not of death, but of the shadow of death, which means that it, it, it implies that there is light. I'll fear no evil. And then I can almost sense at this point that David now, back out there, having to deal with the upheaval of life, with Absalom trying to usurp David's authority, says, you are with me, your rod. And so he understands something about the protection that God provides. And then adds, your staff. That combination, they comfort me. We need a visual, don't we? And so now, what you find here is that when you turn to your left, here is a shepherd in black and white with both rod and staff in hand. And very typically, even to this day, if you're traveling, say, in Greece or in Israel, spotted these in the midst of the travels. Both are in hand. The rod about two feet, and young men who are training to take over the flock for their fathers will do target practice, and they'll hurl these, these rods to see if they can't develop still better and better and better accuracy. God did not waste David's experience when he had to deal with the lions and the bears, the predators upon the flock that he had overseen. He developed such accuracy, he was well equipped then for the Goliath of this world and the cosmic evil realm's attempt then to position Goliath against David was thwarted because God had a promised plan for David while Goliath was being used by the evil realm to attempt to keep the line of promise moving forward to Jesus Christ through David, God had already equipped David with rod and staff to be able to then take on the Goliaths of this world, to be able to show the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and not only then does the rod offer you and me symbolic protection, but the staff offers symbolic, you see, inspection. Because what he now will do, this good shepherd, is that he will take this sheep one by one and look for anything that's afflicting the sheep, parasites and the likes, anything that gets under the wool of the sheep, to make absolutely certain then that the sheep is well cared for. What I'm saying then is that as God takes you through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to fear no evil, for he is with you. 
he is protecting you, and his presence and his protection go together, and the symbolism of the rod and the staff come into play in the realm of protection and inspection that leads to direction. He gets you to where you are meant to be. And where you're meant to be as you make your way from the lowlands through the highlands of life might very well be you're going to have to then go through the valley of the shadow of death. But you take a deep breath and you say, okay, okay, it's the even those of life, but the reality is, is that you comfort me. And what we find is that we are living in a world of comfort-oriented society. The challenge is, is that we want to be comfortable with the world. We need to be comforted by the one who is sovereign over this world. When we are conformable to his will, we are comforted by his word. Okay. You've done well. You've made it through verse 4. You're up to verse 5. And you found yourself a second you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And now what we find is that when he, this shepherd, is guiding you and directing you, what he has done is gone in advance. It could be one of his hirelings. He's gone further up into the highlands, and then preparation is involved in taking care of the, of the area where the sheep are going to be ranging as they approach the high mountain country, the summer ranges. These are known as the Alplands in Europe, the Tablelands. They're sought after by sheepmen. The high plateaus in southern Europe, where the sheep ranges are sometimes referred to as mesas. Uh, those of you who know Spanish know that the word here is tables. He prepares a table before me. He's preparing the mesa for me. Now, when David was positioned at Saul's table and saw King Saul would hurl a spear at David, David was dining before the presence of his enemy. He had to leave the table. God is now saying metaphorically that I go and I prepare a table before for you. He goes ahead. And you say it's such a difficult path to get there, God. And yes, it is. But what we've got to be able to see is that it's necessary to get to the higher, the higher land where the preparations have already been undertaken. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you may be also, Jesus would say to his disciples in John 14. You prepare a table before me, but what I now want you to see is that it's almost as if God is taunting the evil realm at this point. He is preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They're going to have to watch this. God is tending to his flock. God is caring for his flock. And the evil realm can do absolutely nothing about this because God is providing a banquet for his sheep. And the evil realm is simply going to have to watch, observe, take it all in. And understand that this shepherd, you see, 
has so prepared the tablelands of life that all the enemies can do is just simply watch and observe. Oh, they're still a threat, aren't they? Douglas Macmillan, who out of Scotland, a shepherd who then became a pastor. Now there's good preparation for you. He writes in his volume on the 23rd Psalm, on our land, there was one particular mountain of about 1,500 feet, and from the top of the mountain I could see every thistle, every area where sheep were kept. I used to go up there with a pair of powerful glasses so I could survey the whole area. I remember being up there once early in the early summer morning. The lambs were getting big. We were troubled by hill foxes. I was out there half past three in the morning, binoculars, a 303 rifle, shepherd's crook. Saw something then that I had never seen before, never forgotten since. Sitting on top of the hill, I could see a fox. Way down below me in a flat valley, working sheep just the way a dog works them. Yeah, well, you have sheep trials in Wales, don't you? You know how the dogs, you see, wear the sheep, as we say, gathering them up, bunching them together, driving them, doing all these wonderful things for them. Well, here was a fox a pseudo-sheepdog doing the very same thing down there below. The mothers were in a great state of trial. The fox was actually trying to drive the sheep to a boggy place. He was wanting to get the lambs stuck down because they were getting big. I waited. I waited because this fox was working better than any collie I ever saw. I waited a while, and then the sheep were all distressed and troubled. For them, the world was turning upside down, and they had eyes only for the fox. And then when the time came, I could see the fox really was going in for the kill. I did something very, very simple. I put two fingers in my mouth, and I whistled. And the fox was off like a shot. For you see, the shepherd's eye was on the sheep all the time, knowing precisely what was happening and at what point to intervene. God knows at what point to intervene. So in this cosmic spectacular presentation where the evil realm is going to have to watch God's sheep are feasting on his wood this shakes the evil realm because you're preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil there is a scene that appears on the screen. It's the anointing of the sheep. And as you look at that, your mind goes back, you see, to that extraordinary moment when David, who is to be shepherd king of Israel, he knew the story subsequently where the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. And then Samuel, about to anoint David in the wilderness, you see, where David is now in Psalm 23, experiences. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers who were vying for the position of being shepherd king. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And what fascinates us is that the Hebrew word for anoint 
is Messiah. And ten times in your Old Testament, what we find is that God anointed David. In other words, God Messiahed David. And then when you think of the fact that Jesus Christ came walking down the streets, moving down the streets towards Jerusalem, as the crowds were shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were identifying him as the son of David, you see. Now, what do you do with all that? My cup overflows. Too many times we see people who view themselves as their cup is half empty. Such negative people. But the joyous person is the one who says, my Christian experience, even in the valley of the shadow of death, is that there's an overflow here. There's such positivity, there's such joy here. My cup, even in this valley, overflows. So, now you're up to verse 6. You're almost there. What do you do with this? You spot at three U's. You are with me, in verse 4. You prepare a table before me, verse 5. Again in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What do you do with all of this? Now with absolute certainty, he says, surely. Two Hebrew words in the original language leap out at me at this point. The first is tov. We translate as goodness. The second, hesed. One of my favorite Hebrew words in the Old Testament. Mercy. Loving kindness. But what grips my attention is what comes next. Shall follow me. Because the word follow is the very same Hebrew word which was used to describe the Egyptian troops as they were pursuing the Israelites who were about ready to cross the Red Sea. They were not passively moving along. They were aggressively pursuing and what God is now saying is that I've got twin I've got twin graces for you. The grace the grace of goodness, the grace of mercy shall pursue you. They're in hot pursuit of you even in your valley of shadow of death. Hot pursuit, they're right at your heels all the way through your life. And this is why it's a shame that Psalm 23 is simply given for funerals because this is a daily deal. It's all the days of my life, not some. It's not episodic. It's, it is a continual experience, no matter where I am found, moving from the lowlands to the highlands, as difficult as the paths of life might be. And now, you need a resting place, don't you? I shall dwell. Tabernacle. Dwell. Where? Mark this. In the house of the Lord. Forever. For you see, in this world, in the shadowlands, houses are temporary. Sid and Heidi, the Lord has a house for you, and we stand with you. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now you loop. And where you began determines where you end. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
end result, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Aslan, their hearts leaped with a wild hope rose within them. Yes. In the seventh book of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan tells the family there really was an accident. Your father and mother, and all of you are, as you used to call it, in the Shadowlands. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is morning. You and I are told that as he spoke, he no longer looked like a lion, but the things that began to happen after were so great, so beautiful, I cannot write them. And as, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say they all live happily ever after, though I might add joyfully. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let's stand together. And our Father, we know we've merely scratched the surface of this psalm in these two Sundays. But what we see is that to get from the lowlands to the highlands is no easy path. But through it all, Father, you're there. You're guiding. You're directing. You're providing. If there are any, Father, in any of the services this morning or those watching now or later online who are looking for pastures without first having looked for the one who is known as Lord, my shepherd. Speak to that heart. I pray now they'll put faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Put first things first. And the result will be, ultimately, they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And for this, Father, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.